Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer before we look at God's word. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we bow before you. Uh, we want to come with a posture of, of worship as we've just tried to worship you. And we pray now, Lord, as we have come to the end of this week, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for all your kindnesses to us this week, Lord. Thank you for the sweet fellowship in our Lord Jesus Christ that we've enjoyed. Father, thank you for the word of God that's been opened up to us, that we've been able to think through and rejoice in and be challenged by. Father, thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this um, refuge in a, in a dark and cold world. Thank you for these young people, Father. May you bless their lives. Thank you for all those who've invested um, in this place and in this ministry. And Father, we just ask for a, just one more dose of grace uh, to be able to feed upon your word one more time before we leave. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know that you're weary, and if I see you yawning out there, I'll commiserate with you, right? If you're not yawning, something's wrong with you at the end of camp week. We're just going gonna to try to be brief, uh, but if you'll stay with me, I'll try to be brief. But we do want to give our attention to God's word as we close this out. Um, haven't you been blessed by Psalm 34? Psalm 34 is a rich, rich passage of Scripture. Um, And I want you to think about this question. I want you to seriously think about this question. I want to think about this question, and that is this. How will Psalm 34 shape you in the days ahead as you leave Camp Moriah? How will Psalm 34 shape you in the days ahead as you leave Camp Moriah? I hope that you'll seriously, that I will seriously consider that question, because the reality is God has blessed us this week. We have, fed, we have fed from God's word, and the Lord doesn't intend for that blessing to be just for one week, but for our hearts and our minds to be shaped by the word of God. So I've got five I wills, okay? And I probably won't go through all the five I wills tonight for time's sake, but here are my five I wills, and these are I wills um, that are obviously dependent on grace, not trusting Timothy, but but trusting Christ's grace, but determinations I want to make for my life, and I trust they'll resonate with you. So here's my five I wills. Number one, I will more consistently live a life of praise. I will more consistently live a life of praise. Number two, I will seek the Lord when fear comes. I will seek the Lord when fear comes. Number three, I will remember that fearing God is the good life. I will remember that fearing God is the good life. Number four, I will more consistently taste the Lord's goodness. I will more consistently taste the Lord's goodness. And then number five, I will remember that God comes close to the repentant. I will remember that God comes close to the repentant. So number one, I will more consistently live a life of praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Notice these words. Notice these praise words in these first three verses. Bless, praise, boast, magnify, and exalt. Okay? Bless, praise, Boast, magnify, and exalt. The, the, the I will bless is, in other places, translated, I will kneel. Psalm 95, let us come 
uh, and kneel before the Lord our Maker. It's the posture of adoration. For, for, so for us to make the determination, I will more consistently live a life of praise, means that in my heart I will cu- cultivate kneeling before the Lord, that I will cultivate a posture of adoration before God, of not of treating God as common, but standing in awe of him. This idea of magnifying him is to, to make him large, to, to boast in him, is, is what we heard last night of celebrating our Lord, celebrating our Savior. Um, I will bless, I will praise, I will magnify, I will exalt. So it's hard to do this. It's hard to maintain that heart posture and a heart posture of default mode, grumbling and complaining. It's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to maintain this, this posture of adoration and kneeling and every day saying, God, I'm going to kneel before you. I'm going to adore you in my heart. I'm going to make, make you large. I'm going to make much of you. I'm going to boast in your victory and at the same time be given over to murmuring and complaining. Um, it, it, is, it, is, it is a cultural phenomenon that in this day and age we are given to complaining. We are given to complaining. Christians, that should not be so among us. Not, not with the Psalm 34 God that we have, right? Not with the one that we can boast in and delight in his glorious salvation, his great deliverances in our lives. So, so when we are more actively living a life of praise, there will in, inevitably be less of a posture of complaining, right? And if we're living a life of praise, it forces us to lift our thoughts to God, doesn't it? It forces us to get our minds on God more frequently and off of ourselves, it forces us to, to, and listen, this takes work. This takes mental work, doesn't it, of cultivating a life of praise. It was, I think, Brother Nathan that encouraged his class to five minutes a day, at least, I think it was, to meditate on the goodness of Jesus Christ. That takes work. That takes effort. That takes cultivating, just like some of you are cultivating your summer gardens. So it forces us to lift, lift our thoughts to God and to not be absorbed with ourselves. And let me say this, we're going to get really practical. If we're going to more consistently live a life of praise, it's probably going to mean that we have to give up our technology addictions, doesn't it? Because those technology addictions, I speak as a, as a survivor, right, or one right there with you, that, that, that it, is, it is how many times have we, have we had, a, had meditated on the Lord, rejoiced in the Lord, and then picked up this thing and spent 35 minutes there, and then we felt crummy on the inside after, right? Um, so, so let us live more, fe- more fruitfully, more consistently, the, this life of praise to, to our God. In your reading of Scripture, as you read Scripture, as you hear sermons, pick out things in your mind to praise God for. So as you're reading Scripture, say, what in this passage is telling me I can worship God for, I can make, most, make much of Him, boast in Him, exalt Him, kneel before Him in adoration. And at all times, at all seasons. So number one, I will more consistently live a life of praise. Um, say amen to make sure you're still awake. Amen. All right, good. I'm going to tell everybody I got a lot of amens at camp. All right. I will more consistently live a life of praise. Number two, I will seek the Lord when fear comes. I will seek the Lord when fear comes. I love this psalm because David is so honest. He's so honest. He says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. You've probably heard in your Bible studies the background of Psalm 34, of how David 
either, I told my class it was either sin or it was stupid, one or the other, that he went down to the Philistines with Goliath's swords to Gath, where Goliath was from. Either sinful or stupid, not sure which category, but one of the two. So David goes there, and then he's filled with fear because they spot him, they see him. This is the guy who caused us all kind of trouble, killed our, our giant, let's get rid of him. And David is filled with fear, and his, in his mind his only resort is to act like an idiot. And he's, can you imagine, this is the same David who had courage and killed Goliath. This is the same David who wrote psalms of praise to God. And he's got spit coming all down his beard. And he's going up to the gates. He's making these marks on the gates, doing the best that he can to look like a complete idiot. And sometime in that moment, he said, God, please help me. I mean, the Philistines are going to kill me. Please help me. I shouldn't be here, Lord. I'm either sinful or stupid, one or the other. But please help me. Please deliver me. I've confessed, I was transparent with the high school class, that there are many mornings that I wake up and my first thoughts are dread and fear. Um, Dread and fear. Sometimes rational, sometimes irrational. Many times where it feels heavy to just read the Bible, it feels heavy just to pray. And we heard messages this week, Titus' message, just cry out to God, of orienting my mind toward God. Of, of, you don't have to get spiritual before you can praise God. You don't have to get that spiritual feel before you pray. David said, this poor man was spit running down his beard, was crying out to God, God deliver me. Brothers and sisters, when fear comes, let us seek the Lord. Well, who are we seeking? Psalm 30, 34 tells us the God that we're crying out to, the one we're seeking when we're afraid. His eyes are upon us and his ears are open to us. Now, you know that God doesn't really have eyes. He doesn't really have ears. God is the Spirit. But God talks in this way to us in his word to give us an image that to us in some glorious way communicates to us his incredible, condescending, humble love and care. It's as if the God who made heaven and earth, it's as if the God who sent us a son on Wednesday that reminded us how hot the hot can be, the God with that kind of power, it is as if, He peers over and looks at you, believer, and is just leaning over to hear your cries and your burdens. That's encouragement to cry out to God when fear comes, isn't it? This is the same God that verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. I think that angel, the angel of the Lord here is Jesus, and we won't go into all the reasons for that. But the idea here is that Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord, is camping out. He's camping out around me when I'm afraid. He's camping out around you when your burdens come, when you wake up and you're burdened with fear or you have some very fearful circumstances looming right before you. And Jesus, who died for you on the cross, who redeemed you, who bore your sin, is camping out round about you, ready for you to cry out to him. So I will seek the Lord when fear comes because I know who that he is. I know who that he is. He's ready to receive me. He loves me. He cares for me. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can handle our fear incorrectly. And that's when David often got into trouble. That's when we often get into trouble. One of the things I gleaned from Lewis's sermons that I want to take with me is that I want to look at trouble, fearful things, and afflictions. I want to look at those things as opportunities to trust the Lord. Opportunities to trust the Lord. Rather than just being filled with anger or frustration or just focusing on how bad it is, Lord, this is an opportunity, opportunity for me to trust in you. So I will seek the Lord when fear comes. 
Number three, I will remember that fearing God is the good life. David makes a big deal about this here. He, he compares us to lions. As even the young lions who are strong and powerful, even sometimes they can't find any prey and go hungry and don't have their needs met. But David says, let me tell you, fear the Lord, ye his saints. There is nothing lacking to those who fear him. Even the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who's that man that wants a good life? The good life is fearing God. The good life is standing in awe of God and worshiping him and recognizing that we live quorum Deo before the face of God and that, that our, 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 our greatest, one of the greatest ways to deal with our fears is to fear him, right? is to reverence him, is to draw near to him with this awe and this, this glorious view of his majesty and this readiness to hear his word and to honor him, which means that I've got to watch my mouth, David tells us in the sermon. Watch your mouth. <laughs> you want the good life? Be careful what you say. You want, you want the good life? Throw off the evil. Live a life of repentance. Depart from evil. Seek that which is good. You want the good life? Seek peace in your relationships. Seek peace and pursue it, he says. That takes humility. That takes long-suffering. That takes forgiveness. Now, before we move on to point four, I have in my notes when I said, I will remember that fearing God is the good life, I have Chihuahua right there, right? <laughs> I don't say it just to be funny. We can remember the Chihuahua story, can't we? The Chihuahua's good life was being right there where he had food, he had protection, he was cared for, and he was provided for. He was living the good life. Listen, listen, the good life is knowing our God. The good life is fearing the Lord. So one, I'll more consistently live a life of praise. Two, I will seek the Lord when fear comes. Three, I will remember that fearing God is the good life. And then four, I will more consistently taste the Lord's goodness. I'll more consistently taste the Lord's goodness. Verse 8, oh, taste. I mean, David's testifying. He's saying, y'all, listen, oh, I've, I've done it. Now you do it. He's inviting them, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Blessed is the man that makes his refuge in the Lord. I'll pick on Andrew, our son. Andrew, uh, for many years of his 11 years that he's been on this earth, refused to eat bacon. I'm kind of ashamed of that. He's my son. But in reality, it meant more bacon for the rest of us. That worked out well. And we would do everything. Andrew, just, just, just try a little bit. We would, it bothered us. We love bacon. Andrew, what's wrong with you? Just take one. Nope, 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 not trying, not tasting. And then finally, he tasted and he saw. <laughs> he did. And now we have less bacon to eat. Now, say that for a point. I could not taste the bacon for Andrew. I could tell him how good the bacon was. I could say, you're crazy for not liking the bacon. I could say, what is wrong with you, Andrew? You're my son, right? But I can't eat the bacon for Andrew. Nobody could. He had to taste. David's saying, taste and see. I've found God faithful. I've found God's grace sufficient. I've found his forgiveness and his cleansing. I've found his mercy. Now you taste, you taste, you trust, you believe, you, you apply what Christ has said in his word. You draw near to him. You come to him who are repentant. You come to him and find that he's near, he's close to the broken and the contrite heart. You seek him when fear comes. You will taste and you will see that no matter how it turns out, you'll find he's good. He is good. 
I cannot taste and see for you, and you cannot taste and see for me. And the reality is this. Listen, for all of us who are here, the reality is this. We are all tasting of something. We are all tasting of something. The Scripture says that, that the wicked eat the bread of wickedness. And it says they drink of that evil, and it ends up being like poison or hemlock to them. I know there is a, there is a pleasure in sin for a season. There are sweet morsels, as Proverbs says, that we roll under our tongue, but the end thereof is bitterness. But oh, to taste and see and to know and to walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, to taste of fearing God fills up the soul with joy. To where David could be sitting in a cave. Listen, he's probably writing this from the cave of Adullam. He can be sitting in a cave and say, y'all, I've tasted that God is good. But David, you're in a cave. I know, I don't want to be here, but God's still good. But David, you're not with your family. You're still a hunted man. I know, I'm praying I'll get back there. I'm praying I'll be safe. But listen, I've tasted that even in the cave, even in the danger, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is is like what, and, and the reality is this, is that he's the prize, right? He's the prize. So you can be in the cave and you still have Jesus. You can be the hunted man and still have Jesus. Brother Robert Kale told us, Essentially, to keep tasting, didn't he? Keep drinking from the fountain. Keep drinking and keep drinking. So, brothers and sisters, taste and see today and taste and see tomorrow and taste and see the next day as you pour into God's word, as you are faithful to fear God and the big things and the small things. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then finally, I will remember that God comes close to the repentant. Today's verse is, The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Did you get that? Lewis made a big deal the other night when he preached. He hears. Remember that? Titus said the same thing. He hears. Let's make a a big deal about this one. The Lord is nigh. God is near. God is close. That's attractive. (laughs) To who? To those who are broken in heart and are of a contrite, a crushed spirit for their sin. Now, when Adam and Eve walked with God before their sin came, they were close and they were near. But then sin came, and what happened? There was distance. There was distance. God said, go away, leave. But brothers and sisters, in the person of our Savior Jesus, God has come close and he has come near. And through the blood of the cross... Through his abundant mercy, let us respond to sin in the right way, right? I told our class today, there's lots of different responses to sin. I asked them for them, and they knew them all. You ignore your sin, you excuse your sin, you justify your sin, compare yourself to others, or just be hardened and just keep on doing it. But God doesn't promise to come close to any of those responses to sin. And I told them, it's not a shock that we sin. And we don't say that to make light of it or to excuse it or to minimize it. It's not a shock. But how do we respond when we sin? Remember, God is close to the repentant. God is close and he is near to those who acknowledge their sin, those who confess their sin, those who, like David, may have been saying, Lord, I was was either, again, sinful or stupid to be down there. But I'm broken. I want to trust you. I want to draw near to you. I want to taste and see of you more. I don't want to take matters into my own hands, Lord. I want to trust you with all of my heart. So sinners draw near, right? Draw near to the one who draws near to you. 
in humble repentance for our sin. Praise be to God that we can come to the end of a week like this. We could probably have all experienced conviction. Hopefully we, are, we intend to make changes, and that conviction doesn't mean that God is far off. It means that he's near, and he's near to help us to apply the things that we've heard, that we may grow and be fruitful in these precious truths that God has given to us. So, how will Psalm 34 shape me in the days ahead as I leave Camp Moriah? I pray these five I wills will bear fruit in my life and in yours. I'll say them one more time. I will more, I will more consistently live a life of praise. I will seek the Lord when fear comes. I will remember that fearing God is the good life. I will more consistently taste the Lord's goodness And I will remember that God comes close to the repentant. God bless you.